Well, welcome back again to the Men's Divorce and Cordell Cordell podcast. I'm Scott Trout, your moderator for today. And as always, we're bringing to you information for guys before, during, and after divorce. And today is no different. Uh, we're not giving legal advice, as always. Caution. This is informational and educational. You want to set a, con, uh, a consultation. You can do that at 866-DADS-LAW or CordellCordell.com. So joined by Dylan over in St. Charles, Missouri, in the St. Louis metropolitan area. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Mr. Trout. So let's talk about GAL, guardian ad litem. Uh, we'll talk about Missouri law since that's where you're licensed. And, you know, they're, they're called something different, perhaps in different states, you know, child advocate, uh, child guardian, uh, whatever, parental coordinators. And we'll explain what a guardian ad litem is and how it applies and what you need to do. And, and you'll get the gist of it. And obviously the, the point of this is to have you reach out to your attorney or find one that practices exclusively in family law like we do and talk about these important issues that affect your case or may affect your case. So, all right, Dylan, GAL, we throw that term around a lot that, you know, just using the GAL, guardian ad litem, what is it? So guardian ad litems are attorneys that are occasionally appointed to uh, custody cases. And the purpose of a guardian ad litem is to serve as the child's attorney in any custody case uh, to represent them and ensure that any outcome of that case is in the child's best interest. Now, let me tell you, when you're a guy going, okay, sounds good. I, you know, under what circumstances would one be appointed? Or, you know, what has to happen, at least in Missouri? You know, I know it's governed by statute and some local rules may even affect it. So what is it and how is it appointed? So there's two global types of circumstances uh, concerning the appointment of a guardian litem. One is the mandatory appointment and one is a discretionary appointment. So in, in any case in which there's allegations of abuse or neglect, the court must, it doesn't have a choice, it must appoint a guardian ad litem. In all other instances, the court may appoint a guardian ad litem if requested by either party. And today, we're going to talk a little bit more about the latter case, which is the discretionary uh, circumstance in which the court can appoint the guardian ad litem. Yeah, and I think that's key. You know, I know I've been doing this for a long time, almost 29 years, and I've always run across judges. There are some who would routinely appoint a guardian ad litem simply because yeah. they prefer to get that information from the guardian. And so let's talk a little bit about that under what circumstances you personally or uh, you would see the appointment in a discretionary manner. Sure. So, you know, Guardian ad litems are not always a good thing. Uh, first and foremost, they're expensive. They're attorneys. Yeah. So they bill at a comparable rate to the uh, rate that you're, you would be paying your attorney in the custody case. So if they're not needed in the case, then we want to try and keep them out if for no other reason than for that. However, there are certain, certain circumstances in which it can be enormously advantageous to request the appointment of a guardian ad litem. And we're going to talk about uh, a few of the big ones right now. The first of which is whenever the opposing party has unrealistic or unreasonable expectations for the case's outcome. So, you know, the, the, the classic example is a mother who insists on having 50% of the parenting time, even though she doesn't have beds for each individual child. Mm -hmm. uh, at least in my practice, judges are very disinclined to grant that much parenting time whenever each child doesn't have their own bed. So if we have no guardian ad litem, we have to litigate the case and we have to take it all the way to a trial so that a judge can tell mom that her position was unreasonable. Yeah. Alternatively, we can request the appointment of a guardian shortly after the case starts if we already knew mom's position or shortly after we discover that position in the case and that guardian can get involved in the case and meet with the parties and uh, apprise mother of her, you know, the unreasonableness of her position 
many, many months and many, many thousands of dollars before we would be able to otherwise without the appointment of a guardian ad litem. Mm -hmm. So that's one principal instance in which that's very valuable. There should be a sign, you know, that I was thinking I was hiking and there was a big sign that said, you know, danger ahead, proceed with caution. That should be the first giant sign when you next to the guardian ad litem statute when it talks about the discretionary appointment. Because as you suggested, it can be good, it can be bad. And mm -hmm. you know, the guardians, at least in Missouri, they're, they're trained um, in order to what their, their duties are, their responsibilities, what approaches they should take. But I always say to clients, look, you might as well appoint my home builder to be your guardian in some, not to be derogatory, but the point is this, is that neither of us, I mean, at least I know I'm not, I'm not a licensed psychologist, psychiatrist, trained child advocate to understand the ins and outs and the social aspects of custody evaluations. I leave that to, you know, psychologists or psychiatrists trained. Guardians can be helpful, but you're, you're kind of walking into that danger zone because it's a very risky proposition because if you don't get them on your side, they are going to be against you. And, it, and you got to know the facts. I mean, as you suggest, it could be that mom has some unreasonable facts about not having any bedrooms and that could work to your advantage or it could be, and I'm curious, kids telling mom one thing and dad the other thing and maybe there's, you know, mom beats me. No, you know, dad, you know, dad beats me and it's neither what's true or, you know, that may trigger the automatic, but it could be something weird. Like, you know, dad lets me stay out till 1am, you know, we're, we're getting these conflicting stories as kids will do. They, they use it to their advantage. Um, but that's another reason you may want a guardian and, and it's all about weighing the facts, right? That's absolutely correct. And, you know, it, it's always important for people to have competent representation when they're engaging in a custody case, but that is, you know, quintuply more so with respect to a guardian ad litem. Ideally, your attorney will have a pre-existing, at least professional relationship with the guardian ad litem and can leverage that to your benefit. Uh, in addition, like, like you said, uh, we, we want the guardian to have a favorable opinion of us, and that's not always the way that things come down. But we as lawyers, we're advocates. It's our job, essentially, to, to sell things. And what we're selling is our client, and, and we're very good at that. Uh, but in court, we have a lot of rules and strictures that we have to abide by that, you know, limit our ability to engage in the advocacy that we may want to otherwise. Whereas with a guardian, we don't have any of those restrictions. So mm -hmm. uh, if the case is conducive to a guardian, I like the appointment of a guardian because I like picking up the phone. I like talking to that guardian, seeing what the guardian's concerns are, talking about what, what's important to my clients, what, why, what issues that the children are facing. And Typically, that, that usually goes pretty well, especially because a lot of times the attorneys on the other side don't want to engage in that kind of uh, charm endeavor, if you will. Yeah, right. uh, so, I, I think it is. You're right. I, I think there is some advantage, and you can work the, the guardian. I, I mean, there, we do. We know a lot of the guardians that do this work, and we kind of know where they come down on certain sides. We know their tendencies. Um, but I think it is, it's, it's one of those things, if you can get them on your side, I always use the visual when you pre COVID, we'd sit in the courtroom and you have two tables, you know, husband, wife, or spouse, spouse, uh, and you have each of them with the attorneys. Now you've got the third party in the mix, a guardian, where do they sit? You know, and they kind of align right. themselves one way or the other. And believe me, having two attorneys cross examining you is not fun. So you definitely want the guardian on your side. And so absolutely discretionary, you know, judges historically, 
if it's a hugely conflicting or a high conflict case, I know certain judges are going to go, nope, I don't want to, he said, she said, I want to hear, you know, from a third party guardian. So we're appointing a guardian. Don't, isn't that your experience with high conflict cases? Yes, uh, absolutely. That, uh, that has been, I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. It, it's one of those things where I think it's, I mean, they're saying one or the other and like, who do you believe? I mean, there are some judges, I can tell you, they don't want a guardian because it, they cost money. So you have to consider that, the party's ability to pay. They're not free, at least in Missouri. And in some cities, they probably are. But um, I think that's always something you have to be thinking about is, you know, in this high conflict, do you want to ask? That is absolutely true. Uh, because like we were talking about earlier, it can cut both ways. So sometimes I have clients who, while they may be very good dads, they just don't present very well to on a witness stand or to a guardian and I'm going to want to expose my client to those circumstances, that particular mm -hmm. client, as little as possible. So yeah. in that instance, I am going to want to wait and just have that oppor one opportunity in front of the judge, essentially. But yeah. for most of my clients, that, that, that's not necessarily the case. But like you were talking about, it, it is very important that the uh, guardian have a favorable opinion of you because for all intents and purposes, the guardian is going to be your judge for uh, all issues related to custody throughout the duration of your case. For the reason that at the, at the end of the case, the guardian's gonna make a recommendation to the court as to what the guardian thinks the appropriate custody outcome is. And the number, one of the biggest things that judges hate is getting overturned on appeal because they made a mistake. And if a judge is subscribing to the guardian's recommendation on custody, very, very unlikely that that judge is ever going to get overturned on appeal. So they have every interest in subscribing to the to the guardian's recommendation. Yeah, you have a job as now you have to cross examine your spouse and cross examine the guardian and the evidence that the guardian relied upon to show either that it's not truthful, it's you know it's unreliable, or it's an abuse of discretion, or they didn't follow their duties. You know, I, I you know I look back in my past and maybe a handful of times I've been able to get the judge to not go with the guardian's recommendation. It's rough. I mean, the judges trust these guardians to, and it's almost supplants the judge. Now, the judge is just left to rule on evidence and not make a decision on custody. And it's, 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 it's somewhat risky. So that kind of begs the question of under what circumstances would you maybe perhaps recommend to a client, generally speaking, under what, you know, back patterns where you're going to say, yeah, you may want to consider a guardian. Well, uh, we were talking earlier about the high conflict cases. And so that's going to be one other instance in which I would recommend that appointment for the reason that, so if the parents have one or two issues that they disagree on, then provided that they're represented competently by experienced litigators, they can be pretty confident that they're going to be able to show everything to the judge that the judge needs to know and consider to make the right call in the matter, in the course of their two, four, six hour trial. Yeah. However, conversely, if the parties disagree on, you know, 13, 15 things, well, then they, they, can, they, they cannot be as confident that they're going to be able to present all of the issues that the judge needs to know to decide all of those 13 to 15 things in a two, four, six hour period. And more importantly, can hold the judge's attention through all of that such that the judge can make the right call. So in those instances, the guardian can get involved in the case much earlier and assimilate all of those facts and considerations over the course of several months rather than several hours and make a synthesized and distilled recommendation to the court, having 
for many, many months, considered all of those factors and circumstances. Yeah. So that's going to be one other instance and in, or fact pattern in which I think that the appointment of a guardian ad litem is going to be beneficial. And I think one of the most important aspects when we talk about guardians, GALs, advocates, is the role our client plays. You know, it's not like I, I have a problem with my car, I take it into the mechanic, and I never have an interaction with the mechanic. I deliver it, and they return it fixed. Mm-hmm. It's, this is not that case. Mm-hmm. Um, it's where you, we're relying on you as well to be the, you know, the deliverer of appropriate facts. You sell your position well. You have to present all kinds of things. So maybe that's, you know, what does a client need to know about what's going to happen once that guardian's appointed and what are their interactions going to be like? Because I we've talked about it for years in, in uh, things like this podcast and town halls about representing guys, appearance, and most importantly, preparation and presentation. So mm-hmm. what, what do they need to know about their interactions with the guardian? Well, the, the guardians actually have uh, a pretty wide degree of latitude as far as what they're authorized to do. So, you know, typically the guardian will meet with the children that are involved in the case, as well as the litigants, the parents. And based on those discussions, if there's any other individuals that the guardian thinks that he or she needs to speak with, then she can take that action. She can come and do uh, announced home visits. She can, that she can come and do unannounced home visits. Uh, she can go visit with the children at their school. It's pretty plenary in terms of what, the, what they're able to do so long as it relates to custody. So yeah. considering that broad you know, discretion and authority that the guardian has, what is it that our clients need to keep in mind whenever they're interacting with the guardian to ensure that the guardian wields that power and authority in a manner that's advantageous to our clients. And so, you know, as we talked about earlier, the the guardian is going to be the second most important person in your case for the rest of the case after the judge. So you always want to be sure that you're being, you know, uh, prompt with your appointments, courteous, kind, respectful, um, timely responsive to requests, and also timely with payment. Um, Another enormously big consideration is honesty. So always be honest with your guardian ad litem. These guardians have typically been doing this for several years, if not decades. They've had Scores of people lie to them, and they're very good at being perceptive as to when someone is telling the truth or not telling the truth. So if you have things that you're maybe reluctant to admit to the guardian ad litem, uh, you know, there's a lot of things as lawyers that we, with your help, can help you fix. One of the things that we can't fix is dishonesty. Well, once trust is gone, it's almost impossible to meaningfully recover. Yeah. I mean, as I'm mentioning, as you were thinking about being honest and on time, there are, you know, it's, you, you, you nailed it. Good lawyers find bad people, and I've talked about that. It's really easy for a guardian who's trained to know deception or to know that you're distracting. But on time is equally important. I can, you know, I've always had where a spouse is saying he's always late for the pickup on the custody, 10, 20, 30, 45. He doesn't care. He's always late to do this. You know, and so I always, there's something I always say in that is, uh, on time is early, mm-hmm. and uh, on, and and you know you got to be early, and on the time is late, and late is unacceptable, and so you kind of want to keep early is on time. So always be early to those appointments. It's so so key. I'd rather have you sit there and have the respect and show the courtesy and respect of the guardian's time to just be a little bit early and and, and making sure that uh, you acknowledge that they may only have thirty minutes, they may only have an hour, uh, but you want to fully utilize it. 
And, you know, then I think, and I'm sure you'll agree, the, one of the things that's for me important is to somewhat take the emotional anger or the resentment or the hostility away from how you're describing the situation and, you know, kind of stop talking about your spouse, talk about your kids, right? Yep. So th that's one of the other things for uh, clients to keep in mind when interacting with the guardian is what is the substance and content of your conversation? Uh, mm -hmm. the, the guardian will, you know, be driving that conversation. And so, but you can steer it with the content of your responses. So what we want you to do is focus on your children and not on the opposing party. Because as great of a dad as you may be, if you spend your one hour appointment with the guardian bashing mom the whole time, as terrible of a mom as she may be, you're not going to come out of that conversation looking good. Yeah, right. So instead of talking about her, talk about the things you do with your kids, the things that make your kids happy and sad, the medical issues that your kids are facing, the things that excite your children, the things that your children are struggling with, and the concerns that you have regarding your kids. We want our clients to be great dads championing, championing their children and to let us be the ones that are calling mom onto the carpet for her bad parenting. Uh, you know, let your attorney do the bad stuff. That, that's what right. we're here for. Right. I mean, that's part of the cross-exam and the evidence we can present, present to the guardian. And, you know, we can set the stage. And, you know, part of our job is to tell the story um, and then let the characters fill in the blanks. And... Gosh, yeah, the worst thing is, is, is kind of this narcissistic behavior that it's really, you know, I'm perfect and she's so terrible and therefore I should have custody, you know, and, and yeah. let's be honest. I mean, the best thing you can do is say, look, yeah, I, you know, what happened? What went wrong with yourself and what could you have done better? And here's what things I've done to change. And that seems genuine and also reflective and you've learned from the mistakes and yet you're willing to. To, to do something better, you know, and, but I think as you suggest, all the things that you do, paint the picture of what you're doing, you know, in this terrible situation that the kids are trying to figure out how to get adjusted to, and you're trying to do your level best. And I think that's a good point is talk about the good things and how the kids are struggling and what you're doing and let the guardian infer that maybe mom isn't doing any of those things, right? Exactly. Or better still, talk with your attorney in advance of your appointment with the guardian about the concerns that you have regarding mom's parenting. And then with that uh, engagement with the guardian that I was talking about earlier that I enjoy, your attorney can get on the horn with the guardian in advance of your meeting with the guardian and broach those concerns with yes. the parenting issues. That way you're not the one that's bringing it up and dwelling on it. Now, if the guardian's yeah. doing her job, she's going to know or have notes that I brought those concerns to her attention and she's going to ask you about those. And you should definitely talk about those, but mm -hmm. you're not the one bringing it up. You're not harping on it. You're not dwelling on it. You're just being responsive to a question that was asked. And I know it seems like a small distinction, but it is a very meaningful distinction. Yeah. I mean, leading, uh, leading someone to water and you're kind of hoping they'll drink it. And that's what we're trying to do with the guardian is, uh, yeah, take a taste and ask more questions. What's in here? What is this all about? And, you know, without it, it is, it is a, it's a strategy, which means mm -hmm. first and foremost, there are a lot of guys right now that, I mean, I think that's in family law and lawyers I've heard, yeah, you have a meeting with the guardian, just let me know how it goes. You know, and that is like the biggest mistake Ugh. ever. Uh, it's like sit that's down. That's fingernails on a chalkboard to me, right. Mr. Trump. <laughs> I know. Sit down and have a preparation and, you know, let's have a mock interview, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's important. Just what's going to happen. Be prepared. Not, not structured and false and or fake, 
but just know what to expect going in is so important and preparing. It's the best money and time you'll ever spend. 100%. I could not agree more. Yeah. I mean, especially when you're putting your hands, everything, you know, you know, you, you, de you deem precious in the hands of someone you don't know. And mm -hmm. sometimes you get an hour, sometimes you get 30 and I mean, you know, there's follow-up, but uh, you know, impressions are everything. And that first, first impressions, impression, especially with guardians is everything. Totally. You want to make sure that you can be trusted and, and reliable and what you're, you know, the guardians there really, I think, in that first meeting is to, to really uh, gauge credibility. And, couldn't agree more. And then they'll dig later. They'll figure out whether it's truthful or not later, but let's just see who's telling me the truth up front. And then I'm going to align myself up front the guardian. You know, I get a sense that dad's being really honest here and I'm going to start taking dad's side. I'm going to move a little bit to the left here. So I think that's important. So, and that's sometimes where, you know, admitting things that are bad can be useful to you because right. it establishes your credibility. If you're willing to admit to something that's bad, you're probably not hiding other things. That's totally. Bad. Yeah. You know, yeah. I gambled way too much and I led to the destruction of my marriage and I've been doing Gamblers Anonymous for the last 90 days and I am, I, I understand my failings here and all I want to be is a better dad. And, and you know, I, apparently, you know, my marriage is broken and I played a huge role in that and. You know, not only that, but the guardian, but then you're preparing yourself to testify for the judge because they want to hear that too. And it's those corrective steps that are key. So, mm -hmm. you know, if I have one client that is a five out of 10 in terms of his dadding, uh, mm -hmm. and I have another client who starts as a one, but gets to a five, yeah. I'm probably going to be able to get a better outcome for the latter client than the former client because yeah. courts and guardians are suckers for comeback stories. Let totally. me tell you. Totally. Right. It's like, uh, uh, sports, you know, you can measure someone who's a constant, you suggest a five and, you know, they look like they'll project out, but you see someone who's constantly improving to that five, you're thinking they have far more projectability than the person who's fairly remained constant at, a, at an above average level. So Absolutely. I think that, that, that plays the same, I think. So Dylan, great stuff. I appreciate it. Guardian Ed items, uh, kind of, uh, taking the, 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 the cloud over and understanding and the details and what's most important for guys is set that appointment, get to understanding of it and prepare. So thanks for joining Dylan. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. We'll continue to tune in twice every week. We'll drop a podcast. If you haven't yet subscribed, do that in Apple iTunes and you'll be alerted every time we drop a podcast and then check out our virtual town hall that we do every month. You can get more information at cordellcordell.com. It's an opportunity for you to log in and log on, ask questions live, of a panel of Cordell and Cordell attorneys once a month. And it's free. You just have to register, get more information. You can even go to our YouTube channel and watch the previous virtual town halls that we started about 18 months ago. And you can just see how great they are to get some information on topics relevant to guys before, during, and after divorce. So until next time, have a great week.